Matthew chapter 20, 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the labourers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last wait only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. So you should have a, a sheet in front of you which has a little outline. Uh, it is a game of two halves. Um, so there's two points again this week. But I'm starting with this question. And it's, how do you relate to God? How do you relate to him? I'm going to suggest what I reckon our default is, and you can tell me if you agree. I reckon what we usually, how we usually relate to God is transactional. Does everyone understand that word? Yeah? Transactional transactional means uh, we put something in, we get something out. If it's a shop... I want that uh, new top, I'm going to pay some money, I get something in return. A lot of our view of God's, and I think our default, tends to be transactional. So in Dagenham, we have many religions, don't we? And the assumption behind most of them is a God who hands out punishments and rewards, depending on what you deserve. That's the assumption about God. It's believed and practiced to be the essence of his being. And so our prayers take the form of, uh, have, you heard, have you ever prayed this? God, if I do this, if you do this, I'll do that. God, if you give me that job, I'll go to church. Or God, if you uh, help me with this, uh, I'll live for you. So it's quite transactional. And some people don't subscribe to any of those things. Uh, any of those religions, but actually they still reckon that people get what they deserve. So one of the things you might hear people say is, God pays debts without money. Which is a, a nice way of saying they got what they deserve. God pays debts without money. He doesn't need money to pay debts. He just gives it to you. That illness, that cancer. Sometimes hear people say that. So if this is our default view of God, is it right That's the big question. Is it right? Is that really what God is like? And we're going to look at that in our passage today. 
But last week we heard Jesus' surprising verdict on people who thought they were in with him or could get themselves in with God by what they do. That's what they thought. They thought they could get themselves in with God by what they do. And at the end of that, we heard two surprising things. The first was Jesus saying, with man, this is impossible. You can't do it. No one can do it. No one can get themselves in with God. That's surprising. And we even heard Jesus' own followers tread dangerously close to an entitlement way of thinking. So we heard them say, let's look at it in uh, chapter 19, verse 27. Peter's the spokesperson. He says, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So he's saying, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. What will we have? And for believers, Christians, the pull is always away from, this, uh, from the true teaching of the Bible about God's grace and mercy towards entitlement. And we either do it, there's twin, twin dangers really, we either do it by saying Christian life is about how much we do. How many, how many churches would, would, would think that? The Christian life is about how, uh, how much we do. And we saw that in chapter 18. But we either do that or we make it about how much we've given up, which is what's going on here. We've given up everything to follow you, Jesus. What are you going to give us? So you see, that entitlement way of thinking is actually creeping in for the disciples. That's a surprise. And so Jesus tells us this story. And if you're like me, and you're thinking like this, (laughs) and you're prone to thinking like this, then listen up, he's speaking to you. It's, about, it's a story about a master, isn't it, who owns a vineyard and hires workers. You'll notice they don't all do the same hours. In fact, some of them start at six o'clock in the morning and some of them don't start until five o'clock in the afternoon. The very last hour, some of them are, are hired. But this is a story about how the master hires workers and he is so generous that it draws out those who considered that they had done more to deserve it. It draws out those who considered they'd done more to deserve what he gives them. Yeah? We'll see that. So as I said, we've got two halves. The first half is uh, entitlement envy. We're going to see that in verses 1 to 7. And secondly, we're going to see the generous master. Let's look at that first half in verses 1 to 7. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out about going out again about the sixth hour and ninth hour he did the same and about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing and he said to them why do you stand here idle all day they said to him because no one has hired us he said you go into the vineyard too and when evening came the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman call the labourers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first and when those hired about the eleventh hour came each of them received a denarius Now when those hired first came, each of them also received a denarius. 
And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So it's 1 through to 12, entitlement envy. The first thing the story exposes is where the entitlement track leads, where it leads. What it produces here, well, is not pretty, is it? And we're going to see what, what, what it looks like. But it's actually envy of other people. And it's anger <laughs> towards the master. It's, it's, it's envy, it's jealousy about others. And it's anger towards God. We see that first in those who are hired first, don't we? But we don't see it at first. It only comes through later when they complain to the master. And it's only following his generosity towards others. It's almost as if it's his generosity that really brings it to the surface, isn't it? We'll see that in a moment. Up until this point, though, their real attitude was hidden. They looked just the same as everyone else as they went about their work in the vineyards. Sure, there must have been some sideways glances to check what everyone else is up to. But nothing really untoward to distinguish them from, from others. No, it actually takes the master's generosity that's undeserved that brings it to the surface. So what do they say? What do they accuse him of? Well, let's look at that. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying this. These last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us. The basis for their complaint, though, is their measure of work and sacrifice. So we see that, don't we? They say, yet we have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. So, so the point is, it's been hard for us, Master. It's been harder for us. And it's not been as hard as it has been. It's been harder for us than it has been for them. So their basis for their complaint about this payment this equal payment is we we deserve it more because we've worked harder you see that that way of thinking god if we do more god will give us more if we do less we should get less that's what people think that's what we think uh, but uh, we're going to see what the master says in the moment so the basis for their complaint is their measure of their work and sacrifice. We have borne the heat of the day and burden of the work. Uh, I don't know if you've heard a parable, another parable of Jesus called the lost son or the prodigal son. Interesting thing about that older brother is this. He says this. He says, look to his father. He says, look, I've been slaving for you all these years and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Does that sound similar? I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And then he says this, but when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? It's, it's the same thing, isn't it? To put it another way, you could say, he could have just said, you have made him equal to me. How dare you, Father? Make him equal to me. Well, it shows an entitlement way of thinking, and it's brought out by God's generosity, isn't it? The master's generosity. If it hadn't been for that, 
then it wouldn't have been seen. It would have been under the surface, hidden. Well, there is real sadness in being the early worker. And we see that, don't we? In having a transactional view of God, actually it just, bre- it just breeds jealousy and anger towards God. It might not start off like that, but it will end up like that. People will be angry towards God and they'll be jealous of others. Because actually God is generous. And if we have a transactional view of him, we've got him completely wrong. And we see that. So the workers' chief concern was actually themselves in the end. They showed they couldn't care less about the master or about his work being completed because they, might, they should have been pleased to see the work completed. But they were too busy thinking of themselves. And I guess that's true of us, isn't it? Whenever our chief, chief concern is how I look to other people. Maybe how I look in church. And not God's generous mercy being on display. If I care more about what you think of me, than God's generous mercy being on display to this estate, to people who desperately need to hear it, then there's something wrong, there's something amiss. Well, unless God draws out our wrong thinking, we just won't see it. He's loving to do that, because it can only lead to bitterness and anger, and we, as we see, being outside of the party. He does that by showing his undeserved mercy towards sinners. And, and he does it here in this, in this story by showing his undeserved uh, gro- uh, generosity towards the last workers. Well, I've seen this this week in myself. I caught myself doing exactly this. The more I thought about my mood, the mood I was in that was grumpy the more I saw my sin. Why was I grumpy? Well, actually, it was envy. I didn't see it at first. A church that I know and love, actually a church I went to for five years or longer, um, had a reunion, six months of being apart, and they put on this big outdoor service, and guess how many people came? 25, no, 270 people. 270 people. And there was photos, it looked like a great party. It was like, you know, like almost like a festival, that's huge. But you know what? I've got to be honest, my first thought wasn't, isn't God so generous? My first thought was self-pity. What about me? Why do we not have 270 in our church? Can't they send some people over to help us? And it went on and on and on. When we see God as basically the one who's going to give us what we deserve and we've earned it it makes us angry jealous and unable to be joyful when we see his generosity and that's the the early worker so entitlement envy is one way but there is a different way we're going to see this in uh, in what the master makes possible Um, so that's the second thing we see in verses 8 to 16 might actually be verse 12, verse 13 to 16, sorry. So the master's gracious mercy, what's it, what's it written on your sheets? What does it say? The master's mercy. Yeah, what's the, what's the title? Great, somewhere like that. So this is the second option which only he makes possible. And we're going to see how he does that. 
Let's read it in verses uh, 13 through to the end. Remember, this is, this is coming in the face of the guys who have just said, hey, you can't do that. This is flying in the face of those guys who are coming to him and saying, you're, you're out of order. This is unfair. You can't do that. And he says in verse 13, he replied, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do with what I, what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? The more we look at this, we see that bringing the, their entitlement to the surface is exactly what the master has in mind. It's exactly what he had in mind all along. <laughs> He's deliberately set it up that way. If you, we look back at um, verse 8, he says, Call the labourers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last. Why would he do that? You know, natural thing would say, start with the first and then pay the last. And if he'd done that, they would have gone off none the wiser. They wouldn't have been offended by him. So he wants to show those who, who are entitled or feel entitled to his kindness. He wants to show them something about who he is. That he is generous. He wants to show them so that they might know him. Okay? He pays the last workers first in full view of the first workers, doesn't he? The result is that they're angry, accusing him of evil. But the master's response is pretty calm, don't you think? We expect him to blow a gasket and he'd be right to do so. After all, who do they think they are? There is some firmness. His reply does correct them and silence them. They, they are saying you can't do that, but he affirms his is the right to do what pleases him with what belongs to him. But above all, and this is the thing that struck me, his reply is remarkably warm and relational, isn't it? How does he start it off? Friend. Friend. It's not you. It's, it's not you, ungrateful Idiot, it's friend. He speaks tenderly to them, a sign that he knew what they were thinking anyway. And he wants to draw them back into relationship with him. So he doesn't just say, you've got, you're wrong. He says, friend, I've done you no wrong. And that is, seems that he, he anticipated or even expected their reaction. And though they're angry, there really is no reason to be. So he is... It's a tender invitation, isn't it? To see him rightly. To see him as he really is. And if he hadn't have set it up this way, they would not have seen how generous he was. They would have gone away thinking, a day's work, a day's pay. And they wouldn't really have known the master as he really is, as generous. Which is the nature of who he is. And so I, I want to put to you that if... We come to God and we think transactionally about him and we go away thinking we've done our bit, he's given us what we... Then we miss him entirely because he is a gracious and generous God. He gives what we don't deserve. That's what he does with the last workers. They don't deserve it. 
And we've been seeing, haven't we, that God gives us a relationship with him, which is not what sinners deserve. Point blank. They don't deserve that. With man, this is impossible. But with God, this is possible. So his tender invitation is to see him differently. That's what he's saying. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Will you see that? To this I give this, to this I give this. If anything, it just shows how generous I am. I didn't withhold from you what I promised you. But I just, I just have to be generous. That's who I am. And my generosity, my mercy is for other people other than you. Will you see me like that? Will you see the growing generosity of God? The more you see him and his mercy towards other people... You'll see just how how much more generous he was than you realised. So generous that he gives us what we don't deserve. But the wonderful truth of this parable is that God invites you and he invites me not to stay in our bitter bitter entitlement. Not, Not to stay thinking God owes me. But to see his generosity. It's exactly what the father does for the older brother, if you remember. What does he do? He goes out of the party for the, for the first son, for the lost son. He goes out in order to beckon the second brother in. And he says this. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found My son, you are always with me. Will we see again the generous kindness of God towards us? That he did not count our sins against us? And that he does not count, he will not count other people's sins against them if they are to turn to him. So will we hear his tender invitation to us? Friend, I've done you no wrong. See how generous he is. And see his mercy which is for others. I reckon that the disciples needed to hear this because off the back of everything Jesus has been teaching them about the hardness of heart in Israel, it would be easy for them to think that God has ditched them. He sacked them off and started afresh with the disciples. So uh, Matthew's audience, who was the church, the early church, experiencing the animosity of Jewish people towards them, They would have wished as well for God's judgment to fall on their enemies. But Jesus shows here, doesn't he, that that's not to be the case. God's faithful and patient grace is as much for them, the people who have been brought in last, as it is for those who are first. And he wants them, the first, to see, he wants Israel to see that same generosity. So, so if anything, the guys he's invited last are to be those who would prove to the others that God is generous. And so they are not to be proud, thinking they're better than those who, who have rejected God. It's sobering, isn't it, to think, you know, actually, as Christians, if we see someone rejecting Jesus or denying Jesus... Do we sort of get a sense of a feeling of, oh yes, but I don't do that. 
They're, they're not any, you know, how stupid they are to do that and somehow I'm better than that. Truth is, actually, we're not better than that. And unless God was generous towards us, we would be heading for an eternity in hell. And so we should, when we see, as Peter did, someone rejecting Jesus, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, but I'm better. God owes me more. We should be cut to the heart and think, that's what God saved me from. And even to be crying out to God to have mercy on that person. Because they desperately need to be saved. Let's pray. Father, when we think transactionally, we miss out on your kingdom and the joy of knowing you as our generous God. We'd keep thinking this way if it wasn't for you bringing it to the surface with your generosity. Now that we've seen your undeserved gift and heard your tender words to us, help us to receive you gladly and with joyful and thankful hearts. Amen.